I've hiked a lot in Vermont, you know, the Mount Washington area, the White Mountains, uh, probably if you add it all up in, in the White Mountains, probably. And I just could not imagine how this man is going to run across that. It just, I just could not imagine the amount of energy you still need to do that. If he was only doing that and starting out fresh, I'd be saying, oh, you know, that's, that's crazy. But having been on the, uh, on the trail 35 days and he has that ahead of him, it's like, to me, it was completely unfathomable. Hello, my running brothers and sisters. This is Running Book Reviews, where you can get a detailed review of a book before deciding whether you want to buy it for yourself. Maybe you just want a little bit of inspiration or a little bit of extra motivation, something to help you in your training. Well, you've come to the right place. My name is Alan, and along with my super co-host Liz, today we're going to review the book North by Scott Jurek. So for those of you that don't know Scott, um, he's uh, pretty famous in the ultra, uh, ultra race um, environment. He famously won Western States seven times. He's uh, one of the greatest ultra runners in sports history. And um, he's been named Adventurer of the Year by National Geographics and was a key character in the famous book Born to Run. And if you haven't read that book eventually we will review that one as well we'll have to do that eventually <laughs> i guess um and uh, quite famous for being a vegan as well i believe oh that's true i left that out and it was uh, actually a core core fo well it wasn't it wasn't a core focus of the book but it was um it was mentioned a few times how uh, people uh, when he was uh, doing his run, which we'll get into soon, um, he, people left him vegan treats all, along the trail, which is kind of very thoughtful. So the, the, the book is North, and it's called North because it's basically Scott's attempt at a fastest known time of the Appalachian Trail, which is uh, a trail that most people hike from uh, what they explained in the book. Most people will hike north to south, but Scott decided to do his fastest known time going from south to north, which is considered harder. So the the book overview is uh, basically, it starts with chapter one, is just sort of how he got this idea. And then the rest of the book is his account of the, the whole journey of doing this fastest known time. So all the chapters are um, sort of the things that his experience in certain sections of the trail and the book is divided into five parts which represent like parts of the Appalachian Trail so um about geography is, basically yeah so the first part is called the deep south that's where he started and then the second part is Virginia which is uh, so deep south is chapter two three four and five chapter one was just his um his account of how he got the idea, what kind of happened, a little bit of the background story. 
Virginia is the next big section. It's chapter six, seven, eight. Then there's Mid-Atlantic, uh, which is chapter nine and 10. Uh, New England is chapter 11, 12, 13. And then Maine is chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. So up until the finish. Okay, just wanting, just wanting it back to, um, to the beginning. It seemed to me right at the beginning when uh, him and I guess Jenny, his wife, she, she also features and writes quite, quite a bit in the book. So you get her perspective all the way through. But um, it seems to me that um, they didn't have sort of a clearly established goal. It was a little bit like um, Scott was sort of, he'd finished his career as one of the most prestigious prestigious uh, ultra runners of all time basically and he was then in a position where is is he kind of done is he going to become an ambassador for the sport and do more of those promotional type things or does he still have fire in his belly does he still want a challenge and i think jenny seemed to be thinking you know it's family time they were trying to have baby and um, those kind of things. And Scott was thinking, no, I need to have one last go. I need to, I need to sort of bring some kind of finale to my career, do some final swan song, a major event. Uh, and he was looking to just, I think, close his running career on some magnificent achievement. And then he got thinking about the Appalachian Trail and uh, that this would be his final his final thing, but it didn't look like they'd done really a lot of huge planning beforehand. And in fact, because of circumstances, uh, Jenny had a miscarriage a few months before they were due to go and do the trail. They never did any practice. I think the book actually says they did three kilometers of practice on the trail. So they took on the whole Appalachian Trail, not exactly knowing why they were doing it, which led them to question why they were doing it when it got started to get tough. And without really, without a professional amount of practice, in fact, Scott actually says all of his super historical wins at various, various events and uh, his career as an ultra runner is practice enough, which is kind of comes across as a little bit arrogant, I think, but also they were missing time and just decided they would just use their experience, plan it, roughly and get in there and make it happen. Yeah, it it did kind of seem like that. I mean, yeah, it it's it's kind of true that he ran so many races and winner of so many that he's been kind of practicing his whole life, but um he also lives on the on the West Coast and the Appalachian Trail uh, compared to the trail that they have on the West Coast apparently is a lot more difficult, like more uh technical, more rocks and things like that so yeah. he was not really prepared and yeah and and they were even just there the support van they had kind of not slept very much leading up to leaving because they were they had you know they were trying to get this van ready to 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 be gone for like 46 days so it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, it seemed like it was sort of planned, but at the same time, like n maybe very quickly planned, you know, they didn't plan every single aspect of it, 
like some of the other uh, people that attempted the, the fastest known time, which, uh, which they actually talk about in the book a little bit later on. So, so they started off, um, this attempt was um, documented in 2015, started off in summer, May 27th, near 6 a.m. 2015, started their, their attempt. And uh, for those who don't know the Appalachian Trail, it goes from Georgia, they're going from south to north, so they're starting in Georgia, goes 2,189 miles through the mountainous areas of the eastern seaboard, all the way to Maine, to Mount um, Catadin in, in Maine. And in order to um, better the current fastest time, fastest known time then, uh, they were going to have to do that in 46 days, which made about a 50 mile per day. So they're going to go 46 days, 50 miles or 80 kilometers, averaging every day through mountainous, treacherous uh, sort of trails. Um, and halfway through, they got hit by some hurricanes as well. They got the, some of the wettest uh, rainfalls on record. So, so the magnitude of the task, it's difficult to imagine, really. And I, I know um, I've actually run a little bit of the some of that area. I ran uh, a loop called the Pemi Loop, which is um, in, in Vermont. No, it's in New Hampshire. Um, and runs along through Franconia Ridge and some of the other mountains near the Presidential Traverse. And I did the Pemi Loop in, in one day. I think it took me sort of 12 hours. I remember that. But it was only about half of the distance that, that um, well, it was about 50 kilometers. So it was about two thirds of the distance that's, that Scott Jurek covers in one day. And I was totally smashed at the end of that day, completely wrecked. I mean, I just could not, I could not move at the end of the day. The, my, my running buddies had to virtually drag me the last few kilometers. <laughs> I remember <laughs> you saying that when you came back. I was really, really, really smashed. And to think that he did kind of more than that every day yep. for 46 days, it just, it just puts a big, big, big exclamation mark on the, the, the size of the challenge. Because once you get into reading the book, you're just going, okay, day one, day two, day three, and you're not really thinking much about about his challenge, other than as it starts to build up on him, you realize, well, this is not a gimme by any means. So, so off they went. Um, they had with them uh, uh, a friend called uh, Louis El Coyote. El, Coy El, El Coyote, uh, Coyote it was his trail name from he was with he served as a help and photographer to begin with and uh, he was with scott when he was in the mexican desert with born to run and scott actually has a trail name as well el venado which is the deer oh wow he got he got he got another um he got another trail name as he was going on the appalachian trail which he got later he was given that i think by cabello blanco in in born to run so this, this started off uh, trying to run. Jenny's driving the van in between um, kind of contact points where roads cross the trail. And off they go. Everything's going great for a few days and everybody's having fun. And then it starts to get tough quite quickly. Yeah, because he gets, uh, he starts to get an injury. So he... He hurts his knee, which is around day six, which is very early in the whole thing. 
and then and then he actually gets a second injury because he kind of seems to favor one leg and so he ends up also having having a, a quad injury in the other leg uh so he, yeah he's he gets kind of discouraged very early and um he has to sort of decrease the amount of mileage that he's doing so he's limping and walking after um after six seven days six or seven days already um quite quite severely injured not able to move and already getting depressed and that's mm -hmm. where we see the first arrival around about day five i think of, of one of his friends david horton uh, or colleagues i don't know if it's a real friend but somebody he's done things with in the past and uh, yeah. had, a, had a lot of previous um previous contact with and knows him well um the guy they call haughty mm -hmm. and this guy uh i had never heard of this this guy but he set the fastest known time for the appalachian trail in 1991 so he was um he also set a fastest known time for the pacific crest trail in 2005 um and then i think he also ran a trail that goes um that goes like Across, east to west yeah. yeah because it, in the book it mentioned that it forms a letter h for horty yeah. i kind of remember that but uh, i had never heard of him but i mean definitely an accomplished runner yeah. and so he was there and he sort of really kind of was telling scott but this is what you do like you're gonna get through this even though it's super early in the race and with reason scott is a bit discouraged and not thinking that he's he's gonna think this is gonna be a failed attempt uh but then then horty is just kind of like no you just you just keep going you keep moving and yeah get up in the mountain next mountain you'll feel better uh that sort of <laughs> horty seems to be a bit of a prickly sort of character not like uh warm and cuddly a pretty hard-nosed uh, been there done that um sort of guy and not very forgiving and i think uh I guess we we mere mortals. I think if I if I if I'd been Scott injured and then I got this guy who's been there done that telling me how it is, I think I would have given up there and then or or punched him probably. But they seem to be able to take uh the positives from that. Mm, Scott uh, seems benefits. to he seems to uh, really uh, respect Horty and his opinion. So I think it seemed like for Scott, it was encouraging. He, he, you know, he listened to Horty. So I think, uh, you know, I wasn't sure as I was reading it, that it was such a good idea to keep going. And I thought it was going to end in him. I don't know, tearing a meniscus and, uh, you know, having to go home, but in the end yeah he it, it didn't it didn't end there so i was wrong about that <laughs> it's just when things are getting to a low ebb very early on um that um we get the first mention of trail angels effectively people that scott meets on the way i think uh the the whole story in general features probably the thing it features really is the appalachian trail scott's just a passenger in the story you're trying to get through the, the, the star of the story is the Appalachian Trail. And two key things about the Appalachian Trail is there's a, there's a, there's a series of, of team or help that he needs to get. So you see Haughty and then it, it becomes a cast of uh, 
you know, wonderful trail superstars who will keep popping in to help him out. And all that was not planned. It was none of no. that planned. No, uh, Jenny makes a call and says, oh, things are going badly or, uh, you know, they're improvising their way with their superb contacts. And the other thing that's a feature of the trail is the trail angels, i.e. people, everyday people who pop up to help him or are either there by random good luck because they happen to be doing their own thing on the trail or they know that he's doing the trail. They're following him on his tracker because you need a tracker in order to register your official result. And um, they come and they bring him food or gifts. He On day eight, he meets um, two ladies hiking the trail in a southward direction. They talk to him and he's really overcome with the fact that they uh, they're very enthusiastic and they tell him that they believe in him and that he can achieve the goal. And he goes from, you know, being crushed with injury and almost giving up to really starting to believe in himself again. And we see this recurring all the way through that in fact, it's not just Scott who has the means to rise to in the adversity, but also all of the people feed him these these things and he uses all of that mm-hmm. um, which is which is a makes it a pretty interesting read i think of it it's kind of fun to see the human dynamic and how that's working and how that makes such a difference to your ability to go on or not yeah and jenny uh jenny as well like jenny kind of is tracking is you know doing all the 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 crewing and you know, she's managing the social media sites because there are people that are following Scott and, and uh, there's also all the positive that comes out of the, uh, you know, the comments that they get, uh, they get through social media, even though there are some, some not so positive um, people like the one that they mentioned uh, is a guy named Warren Doyle, who's yeah, a known... self-appointed gatekeeper or of the trail yeah so um so he was uh, quite negative but jenny would sort of filter through that she would uh you know she would just she wouldn't let scott see those the negative comments she would just let him see the positive ones jenny gets creeped out as well a couple of times because um she's in the van on her own um a lot of the time waiting for scott and you get some dialogue from some chat from from Jenny of how she's going with her support for Scott, so she's on a lo- alone in secluded spots in in the van in areas which have stories about criminal activity and uh, um, people behaving badly. She gets creeped out a few times, um, including once by this guy Warren Doyle, who's wandering down the trail. Um, yeah, making sure that uh, people are behaving correctly according to him. And I think he's a bit of a trail purist. Uh, he thinks, you know, it should only be for walkers and that they should only use certain equipment and, and those kind of things. But there are also some other times which are much more disconcerting, I think, where Jenny fear, fears for her safety a little bit and kind of worried me a bit that, uh, you know, there might be areas of the trail they seem to be down towards the south, a bit mm. less, a bit less occupied, and perhaps a bit more unsafe. Yeah, and she, you know, in the book, that Jenny kind of um, has a few 
has a few uh, incidents where she's, you know, either followed by another car or followed when she's going somewhere. It's always seems to be when she's alone, although she was alone a lot of the time in the beginning, uh, sort of towards the end, because she calls uh, people from for help for Scott, she ends up, I think, being a little more surrounded. Yeah. But they actually had to um, to rethink their strategy. And at, at one point, Scott said, well, don't meet me at every intersection. Meet me only at the at the intersections with uh, like paved roads instead of instead of being at every sort of uh, intersection where there's those little gravel roads that have nobody around so they they changed their strategy along the way because of that because uh, at one point jenny was really not feeling very safe along the same lines throughout the book there there are there are places where they mention these stories from the appalachian trail how you know people have gone missing and have not been found like decades later or sometimes they will find uh, remains of people that were you know that went missing like decades ago and it just it sounds a little scary i mean it makes you kind of wonder doesn't it sound uh, like the sort of thing you would like uh liz i remember being with you on the uh on the peak to brew when we were running through the night and you had to mm-hmm. run a leg through the night you didn't seem altogether uh, comfortable with that <laughs> no and i was running on the side of like a uh, like a road i mean uh a uh, pretty busy not it wasn't a highway it was uh but it you know a big a big road clearly marked and yeah i felt uh i was kind of scared and a little freaked out having to having to run uh, run at night and i can't even imagine hearing stories knowing stories like that while i'm running it's one thing if i didn't know what I don't know can't hurt me, but if I know and to go on the trail after knowing those things and and it sounded like they knew. Yeah, and Scott describes it as a sort of green tunnel, the uh, the Appalachian Trail, but at nighttime it'll be a black tunnel. Mm-hmm. So off you go on your own, Liz, into the black tunnel. Um, I don't think that would be for you. No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's amazing what he did. I, you read it and you're just like, wow, on so many levels, it's, uh, it's amazing. The, you know, the, the amount of mileage he does every day, the amount of yeah. time he spends, but at the same time, it's, um, it's sort of like, okay, not for me though. <laughs> so he's walking, he's walking with a torn, um, with a torn quad from, from day six, he's got 40 days to go. By day 12, he's back onto uh, 50 mile days. And his legs are sort of improving while he's doing 50 miles every day. Very impressive. There's an interesting bit um, about, you know, him thinking about trying to toughen himself up and reflecting on his mother. Um, He reflects upon uh, a little bit about the guilt um, that he felt because his mom was sick and he was looking after his mom every day. And uh, he left her for one day and she fell over and broke her hip. And um, she ended up, didn't recover well and she ended up not walking again um and deteriorated after that and he blames himself um a little bit and had a lot of guilt and you could see him sort of trying to purge the guilt by running the days on hard days on the on the trail but also talking Mm -hmm. about how tough his mum was and how 
what her attitude. She never complained. Um, she was very sick. She couldn't move around, but she was just sort of toughing it out. Um, she's just so tough and she gave him an example of how to be tough. And he, he talks a little bit through that and that's part of him finding his way. You know, he's gone into this major, major undertaking without seeking the deep reasons why he's doing it. Um, more or less going in with superficial reasons. And now as the trail's getting to him and the fatigue's building up and you go searching inside yourself, he's starting to bring all of these things out. Mm -hmm. which also makes for a good story. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm walking down the trail. And uh, although he does meet a few interesting things going down the trails, bear, bear cubs, I think, being one. Yep. Yeah. He meets a, a mama bear with her cubs. And um, that's uh, that was pretty scary, actually. That was one of my fears when we did the, the Trans-Selkirks, was that we would meet a bear because it was bear country. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he actually. There's no chance of us meeting a bear because um, we were singing Roxanne by the police at the top of our voices. Yeah, yeah. So I, we, I think we were still kind of lucky, but uh, but it's okay. It's okay. Let's let's say it was because we were singing Roxanne. <laughs> even, my version of Roxanne even repelled the other runners, <laughs> so there was no chance of a bear being around. So the next sort of character that uh, comes to spend some time with Scott is um, is the one that I've uh, I've heard of. His name was Carl Metzler. His nickname is the Speed Goat, and I'd heard of him before because Speed Goat are the Hoka sh shoes that are for trail, uh, and I knew that this shoe was was named after after, named Carl, after Metzler. Carl Metzler's nickname. Uh, yeah. So um, Carl Metzler actually spends a good chunk of time with Scott. He's there from day 16 to 32, and he, he actually comes back later on as well. But he's there, he's there from day 16 to 32, and um, he seems to be a bit of a character. And Jenny, when she sort of writes a little bit about her own experience, she writes how she wasn't initially thrilled that he was going to be there but he ended up giving her a lot of tips on on how how to be a good crew because she was basically a one-woman crew and um, they hadn't really planned to that level of detail and he really gave her a lot of specifics like make sure that when whenever you meet Scott you offer him several types of food like not just packaged trail food like bars but also like um you know something salty and something warm and and those kinds of things uh, and he he has a spreadsheet because he also uh, attempted the fastest known time but he didn't uh, he didn't make it till the end so uh, he ended up like having a spreadsheet of where they should be on what day uh, in order to achieve the goal. And he went ahead and even um, booked a camping spot. So he really helped Jenny out a lot. And she was, uh, seemed very grateful to have him in the end, even though at the beginning he was. Yeah. He'd done a lot of pre-planning and uh, he'd, he's rigorously organized. Mm -hmm. um, and as you say, he didn't seem like Jenny's sort of person. And then I noticed in the book him telling Jenny, don't do that, do this, as you, as you explained. And mm -hmm. um, 
um, I thought, oh, there's going to be fireworks. But, in but fact, there wasn't. No. And, and I guess that comes from the fact that Jenny's first loyalty is to Scott. And he could, she could see that Speed Goat's first loyalty was to Scott. He wanted Scott to win mm-hmm. uh, in the true trail tradition of helping each other and wanting each other to do well. And I think she valued that above anything else. And so, yeah, they hit it. This sort of, it didn't. It looked like it was going to be fireworks, but they actually hit it off really, really well and became really good friends uh, on the trail. And in fact, with uh, Speed Goat's organization and guidance, Scott started to claw back some of the mileage that he'd lost. I think Speed mm-hmm. Goat referred it referred to it as nickel and diming. He did. He's got us claw back a little bit every day, uh, nickel and diming our way to. Uh, to the fastest known time. Um, so, so that was pretty cool. Speedgo was very devoted to being organized so that Scott would have the maximum amount of time. You know, one of the things that Scott was very keen to do was to be accommodating to trail visitors. So people who came to see him on the trail, to say hi, to run. He, he made a point of being um, accommodating towards, accepting towards those people. And I think, uh, speed God's view was no, mm-hmm. you know, get, get get them away, uh, keep them keep them away. Don't let them interfere with. Don't let them hold up Scott. And he was telling Jenny, you know, keep keep the trail visitors away. Yeah, and even just like help when when he comes in. So take his pack for him and fill it up for him. Um, meet him meet him on the trail instead of having Scott run the extra few meters to the yeah, van because the he van, was go out and get him yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh so he yeah he was he gave a lot of uh a lot of good tips but at the same time um yeah throughout the book it it sounded like scott was very much a people person like he he would um if people came specifically to see them he would really want to make them happy and spend a little time with them and stuff like that. And then, and um, yeah, both Jenny and speed goat were sort of like, no, you need your energy to, to run. You have to focus on the run so that there was uh, there was a little of that, but there it didn't sound like there was any friction because of it. It was just, um, it was just that just a different style, a different tactic. Yeah. It was just, he had to do his chatting while he was moving instead of, taking selfies at the van. Yeah, what, what seemed what seemed really interesting for me was Scott's sort of a vegan and um, a typical West Coast sort of more casual seemingly guy, but, you know, very healthy living, but a bit disorganized or casually organized. Whereas, it, and he's fast friends with with this guy, Speed Goat, who is the, the, the little bit of research they did on him, he, he eats everything. So he eats uh, fast food and uh, red drinks Red Bulls. He was sponsored by Red Bull. And, uh, it's a good he thing he's to, sponsored because he, seems, he drinks a lot of those. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so he seems to have like the, the, the reverse lifestyle to, mm-hmm. um, to Scott. And, uh, the, but, but he's highly organized, super disciplined, and, and very rigorous. Um, which Scott doesn't have. So in both aspects of their lives, they seem to be different, very different. I guess the the, the trail brings everybody together. Mm-hmm. The fact that they do these adventures. 
Yeah, and they had this common goal because it was it, the fastest known time was something Speed Goat wanted and uh, and Scott wanted as well. And you would think that that was, uh, you know, that would be competing against each other because obviously Speed Goat didn't get the fastest known time when he had done his when attempts. he had done his attempts and yeah. and now it's nice that he was still despite that despite the fact that he wants the fastest known time he was helping scott to try and get the fastest known time yeah and it's not not in the book but oh i think it may be in the afterword of the book but scott ends up going afterwards the year after scott ends up going doing the reverse helping speed goat when speed goat tries to set the fastest known time mm -hmm. but that's another story i don't think speed goat's written the book about that so we can't not yet can't talk about that too much um Okay, so uh, we're, we get through the halfway, um, Jenny, all the way through the book, uh, we never mentioned it, but all the way through the book, we hear reference to Jerka, who is, who is Scott, it's mm -hmm. Jenny's, Jenny's sort of name for him, and we hear reference to Jelu, who, which is um, Scott's name for Jenny, so we... We see uh, Scott, Scott and Jelu actually going through the halfway, uh, running together alone, uh, 1,095 miles on day 23. So in theory, they're still in target, but they have in front of them uh, some of the toughest sections that are the hardest to run, and you need more hours to run them and much more difficult to do the average time. So they are still sort of they're halfway distance at halfway time, but they're really behind schedule. Mm -hmm. And then to top everything off on day 25, a tropical storm bill rose, rolls in um, and they get rained on. And yeah, some of the worst weather on record and they mm -hmm. have to run through it. Yep. And through all the mud. Um, and Scott starts to get um, a bit depressed, I think, as well. I think the fatigue is getting to him. Jenny starts to get worried about him, I think, because he's getting he's getting very in, closed down and um, I guess affected by the the fatigue and the, the challenge. And she arranged some friends to come, uh, a guy called Don, to come up from Seattle to spend some time helping her and helping her to crew, but also just being a a new face to brighten up Scott's uh, uh, day. And it kind of works a bit, but also, Don, Don is pretty hopeless. Uh, he might be listening. We shouldn't call him hopeless. He's he's not very adept but at uh, organizing uh, the van and helping the crew and stuff. So I think he probably read the book, so he probably knows. I <laughs> think he's hopeless. Yeah. Um, well, he's not hopeless, but it's just he's helpful for Scott, but um, for Jenny, uh, she, she it seems like it's more work for her to have him there. Once they're getting through, uh, once they're getting up in more into the north, they're going through uh, more states. So some, some, on some days they go through a state every day, and uh, Jenny and Scott have a a pact that they'll always run together across the state borders. So that's quite cool. Mm -hmm. There's obviously on a thing like this, you could imagine that there's quite a bit of tension and quite a bit of stress. You know, Jenny's waiting for Scott to come. It's dark and he's not there and uh, what's happened and should she go out and get some stuff and run down the trail looking for him or is there a chance she'll miss him if she does that? Should she wait? So th things can get a bit tense, I think, and you see that a little bit in the dialogue. 
and as they get further as they get further north jenny starts to they start to call on friends who know the terrain who are going to help him because he's starting to fade he needs support and mm -hmm. the, the teamwork itself needs support as well and you see that helping a bit one terrible thing that happens terrible thing a little bit shocking um they're in the rain and uh, scott actually sleeps on the trail or just off the trail in some leaves and then he gets back to the van sleeps for a short tiny short period but he gets back to the van and then when um then when uh, jenny's looking at him she finds a tick on him and mm -hmm. then she examines him she finds two more so she finds three ticks on him and they're freaking out and then that's when Scott tells her that he took a nap in the leaves on the yeah. side of the trail, which yeah. was something that actually they they mentioned in the book that you're not supposed to do because you there's all kinds of things that are just off the trail. This is also one of the reasons why I, I, I can't imagine doing something like this because at one point they're talking about, well, you're never supposed to venture off the trail because you can step on a, like a, a poisonous snake of some sort. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, if you step off the trail, there could be like just off the trail, it could be a poisonous snake or you can, um, you know, uh, there can be bears, there yeah, can be, there can be spiders and ticks and you can have Lyme disease. And I, so Scott, Scott was super careless and he, he was tired and he took a nap like on the side of the trail. And when Jenny found those ticks, she was she not crazy. very yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, she went absolutely uh, ballistic. Let's say, I think you're a bit, you're, you're a little, you're a little bit Jenny sort of like, I think I, I'm, oh, I'm worried about everything. I, I think I would. <laughs> I think personally, I'm a bit more Scott. Okay. You, you know, um, I remember walking. I remember walking on some trails in Australia with my kids, and casually picking leeches off their legs. Oh. So it's so not. So it's not. <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> so it's not to scare them. Just oh, I think you got something on your leg. It's what? What was it, Daddy? Nothing. Just keep going and check you out <laughs> when we get home. <laughs> so instead of instead of being like teaching them, you have to stay on the trail because you know they're. I don't want to freak them out. Oh my goodness! What would you say to 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 your wife if you know you had well, she was to? There. She was there. Oh, on the walk. Yeah, I was checking her for leeches as well. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> so the but the, that creates some tension and it helps the story. Getting into um, get, getting up towards New Hampshire, um, I think we actually hear the fact that that Scott's starting to be, you know, dirty and smelly, but he's actually smelling of vinegar, and this vinegar smell that he that he has is probably because all of his biochemistry is breaking down in his body. It's probably protein breakdown and um, it's byproducts from mm -hmm. um, a fairly catastrophic uh, sort of body effort to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's becoming sort of a bit of a shell of his former self. I think some sort of war prisoner, uh, Jenny describes him as visually. Yeah, imagine. there were a few times uh, she met, really mentions that they, you know, she saw him and she wouldn't let him um, let him know, but she kind of was shocked to see what he looked like. And 
and and at this point in the at this point in the the tough part of the the, the run was really getting into the difficult part um we have a friend um nesta who actually went out to to meet scott and run with him and we're going to try and get nesta on the line and get him to talk to us a little bit about his experience and how he found uh, uh scott and uh what it was like in a real a real um person on the spots uh impression uh, so if we can get that from Nesta, um, we'll ask him uh, how how Scott really was and and what the circumstances were around uh, day 34, 35, when they went through Hanover and crossed, uh, I think, from Vermont into New Hampshire. And that's also when um, when uh, Jenny said that she saw Scott cry for the second time she's ever seen him cry. And the first time was actually when uh, she lost the the pregnancy. Their baby d- didn't have a heartbeat at uh, eight weeks of pregnancy. That was the first time she saw Scott cry. And the second time was during this trail, uh, fastest known time attempt on uh, day 35. So he's really, you know, not not in a very good very place lowest physically mm-hmm, and mentally as well. It's, uh, you know, towards the end, but at this point, if you say he's on day 35 and uh, it's, it takes 46 if you want the fastest known time, I mean, there's still uh, 11 days left. Times 80 kilometers. There's still, still, still 800 kilometers to run. Including, including that Franconia Ridge that you guys ran. He hasn't uh, yeah. That yeah, that's right. He went through that about uh, day 37. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we ran that, and and I I guess I've already described how impossible I would view the task that he that he undertook. I mean, I was as fit as I could possibly be, and I couldn't get through two thirds of a Scott Durek day. Um, and he's absolutely smashed from thirty eight days on the trail, and he's got to run over these mountains, and uh, eventually into the presidential trail and onto Mount Washington. Mount Washington being the highest uh, for for people who are not. Uh, familiar Mount Washington's the highest mountain on the eastern side of the USA where um, it's pretty inhospitable so it's not just you're not just running along the street Mount Washington's quite famous because when you get up there um, you see a sign and it says uh, the highest winds ever recorded uh, on earth were, were measured here I think something in the 230 miles per hour and and people have been lost, have been just blown off the, blown off the mountain, and in fact whole buildings. Um, they used to have a. I've I've done the mount run to the top of Mount Washington race, and they used to, they used to have a a hut up there, which one day it blew off. Oh wow! Uh, it's like a lodge. It blew off the top of the mountain, and they never found it. They never <laughs> ever found it. <laughs> They went looking for it, but they couldn't find it. And, you know, then it snows and then you go, forget it. And and the the lodge that they have up there now has these giant steel chains across it, across, anchored into the ground. They go across the roof and they're anchored into the ground on the other side. Oh, my goodness. They just stop it from blowing away. (laughs) They're like, we're not losing this one. (laughs) So, um. 
Scott has to run through this this area and I think day 39 um, after sleeping on the trail for a while he, he he checks into a hostel and has a shower and he describes how he comes back to life a bit mm-hmm. gets one more surge of energy but really at this point they in the book it's describing him as um you know he's very zombie like and uh scott at one point um describes his mental state as uh, like placing his brain on airplane mode like he decided yeah. to place his brain on airplane mode because he just couldn't think and it was sort of like after the point where he had uh he had been sort of it sounded like he was a, like a bit hallucinating because he would yeah he was just not um not in a good place didn't seem to you know really follow what was going on he had some friends running with him at this point which was a good thing because they would kind of he had two friends at one point running together and they would chat and he would just kind of listen and follow um and that was sort of all he could do and and despite you know his friends helping him they're doing about 30 mile average per day over that over that terrain you know they, they need to do 50 miles per day so they're, they're, it's it's looking pretty bad and i think it's around day 42 that that scott does the calculations for how many um miles per day he still has to do in order to break the record and decides it's impossible and he just says to to jenny that you know it's impossible now i've lost too much time there's too much distance per day i need to stop we sh- we should we should give up uh, and i think that's why you see the jenny aspect come into its own because you think any wife would just go oh my husband's just suffering so much you know he's he's on complete zombie mode he's not even a human being almost and he's suffering so much and he wants to stop and now okay he's giving me permission to pull him out so i can pull him out she doesn't do that at all nope she she's basically tells him that they didn't come this far for him to give up so he has to keep on trying and she also points out to him that his idiot uh that his idiot brain on airplane mode has calculated the the days wrong because he forgot to include the last day which you also get to run in yeah because there's 11 hours and then it's still hours. theoretically possible Mm-hmm. And I think you see the dialogue from her. She recognizes that she 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 takes this moment back to a time when she saw Scott uh, fail in one of his runs, and he just ran in at the end in one of the major runs, and uh, he bonked or something. He came in all smiling and trying to put a brave face on it, and holding hands with the children, and being friendly and stiff upper lip. And she knew, looking at him, that's not Scott. Like he's dying inside. He wants. To, he's a winner. He wants to succeed. And mm-hmm. um, she really knows him so well and understands that day, on day forty-two she could say, "Okay, stop," and the pain ends. But in fact, if she says on day forty-two, "Stop," the pain ends today, but the pain continues for the rest of Scott's life. Mm-hmm. I think she realizes that. Yeah, that would. She's there to give tough love. It's her time, and that's when she sort of persuades him to keep going. Which was really tough for her too, yeah. because at the same time she was doing this, but she was questioning whether it was the right thing for her to do because she actually felt kind of guilty about about pushing him on because he he was so he was so run down and so broken. Was, yeah, 
yeah. and she sends him he sends him overnight through the mountains mm -hmm. after this <laughs> after this decision which is uh, i you know, ugh, i just get shivers thinking about it um it's absolutely crazy um so scott continues and he has his buddies with him now he has um in particular a, a character uh called tofa who comes with his wife and they're good friends and i think rather than just be super trail superstars these people are actually good friends of scott and um as well as being super trail superstars yeah um, they're still superstars they're, they're, they're great friends of of scott and jenny um which i think helps a lot because um they need emotional support as well as technical know-how and trail know-how which they get from from other people who are with them so they start to then do the calculations how many days how many days left how many miles per day how many what's your current speed how many hours are you going to have to run for are you prepared to do it the number is less than 24 per day therefore it's possible are you prepared to do it can you can you do it and they start then getting together with some friends and just trying to work their way through some of the toughest sections mm -hmm. um the hundred mile wilderness in in maine up to the mountain at uh, Katadin and the end of the trail. Where um, there's a story that um, that someone got lost in that section um, because there are no roads that go in there. So it's sort of like a hundred mile section of the trail where, uh, you know, there's no way out except to just keep on hiking the trail. And um, there's a story that someone got lost for 26 days and died two miles away from the trail just because I think they went off the trail to... Uh, uh, to look for something or uh, or sleep or something and they they just they got lost and and ended up dying so this is the kind of this is the kind of section that that is yeah so it's pretty wild yeah tells yeah. you how savage it is and another one of the characters that that scott is with at this point as well is the guy from 127 hours Aaron Ralston. Um, he's the guy who had to cut his own arm off because he got caught in the um, slot canyon with his arm wedged in a rock. And I think there's a film called 127 Hours. He wrote a Scott book. Scott actually knows him. Yeah, there's a film. Uh, Scott actually knows him. It's like a who's who of uh, famous historical trail runners and adventurers. Yeah, the whole book is just meeting one after the other. On they go. So Scott's going in with completely broken down but then he's getting something like uh, an average of two hours uh sleep per night because he's got to run basically through the night in order to keep up the mileage that he needs to achieve the record um, the last three nights before the final night uh, he says that he totals up the amount of sleep then that he's had seven hours in those three nights so he's had less than two hours per night and he's going into the final night they think they can make it but tofa does the calculation and uh, I think he'd promised Scott four hours sleep. Mm -hmm. It is the calculation on how hard it's going to be to get up the mountain in the condition that they're in and tell Scott that he can only have one hour sleep. And Scott's very, very upset with this because <laughs> I was promised four hours. You, he was, think, he you was. think I can't cover the distance? He really wants his sleep, but it turns out that it was a good decision because he needs those extra hours. I mean, he ends up beating the record by eventually getting up the mountain and beating the record by three hours and 13 minutes. 
Yeah. Well, if he'd taken if he the had... extra three hours sleep, he would have had 13 minutes. That would have been too close for comfort, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Because in the last section, when it's time to go up that last mountain to the top, he actually, uh, he kind of comes back to life in that section, it yes. seems like. Starts but it, it didn't, it, it may not have been that way. And if he had to walk up that section, it would have taken him that extra three hours. So those 13 minutes would not have. Imagine been. being the guy who has to tell Scott Jurek that no, you're, <laughs> you're wrong. You have to get up. I'm sorry. I know this is crushing you, but no, no arguments. You have to get up. That's, that's, that takes somebody pretty special in terms of a relationship to, to do that. Um, and that was quite, I found that quite impressive. So at uh, 2.05 on the 12th of July, 2015, Scott reaches the summit and uh, makes it to the top with a, with a bunch of good friends that have been helping him over the last over the last little bit. And it's also Jenny's birthday on that day. Yes, and he says happy birthday to Jenny. He remembers mm -hmm. to say happy birthday to her, which is fantastic as well. In the moment of his absolute success, um, he goes over to Jenny and says happy birthday. Yep, and uh, they, he had actually thought that he was going to, when before they started the whole adventure, he was telling Jenny, oh, we're going to be done way before your birthday because yeah. he thought he was going to take four days off of the yeah. fastest known time. And um, 42 days was his target. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Says, oh, yeah. we'll be home by then. Yeah. And uh, finally, she ended up having her birthday um, at the top of the mountain. And Scott finished his fastest known time for her birthday. Um, so uh, a phenomenal success, but quite a harrowing um, kind of book, really. Um, they, they reflect on that a little bit, and I guess they come back to the to the at the end of the day. Why do you do it? They come back to the, what Haughty told them at the beginning: uh, "This is who I am. This is what I do." And you know, why would you do something like that? It depends on who you are, um, and you know, everyone has different reasons. Uh, a, a really nice after piece in the afterward I, I found was uh, one year later they have a daughter mm -hmm. Ravenna Lynn who they call Raven and in fact now um, just looking up Scott's bio they have two daughters I think there are other girls called Evergreen which given that you know there was a backdrop of them trying to have children and Jenny going through her second miscarriage it's kind of nice to hear afterwards that uh, that part of the story had a happy ending as well mm -hmm. um, the whole thing finishes with Scott helping Speed Goat a year later do his his own attempt. And in fact, Speed Goat ended up breaking Scott's record, but going south, which yeah. is the sensible way to go, according to Speed Goat. I mean, he's a the planner. Apparently. Mm -hmm. Scott's, Scott's uh, justification was something like, oh, follow the spring like they did in the history books. <laughs> Which just goes to show how, you know, he, it, there was, well, I guess there was some strategy, but, um, you know, I don't want to say that he just uh, decided one day to, to get in a van and, and start running up this trail, but 
it was definitely just at the beginning they were saying how it's uh how the way to go that the way that everybody hikes the trail is from north to south but he was going from south to north so and even the fastest known times before were all done north to south and he was going south to north so it was kind of funny that uh um, that he just decided to do that. Um, and maybe that's why, maybe had he done North to South, uh, then the book would have had to be called South. But <laughs> but maybe he would have been four days, uh, maybe would have taken those four days off like he, he had expected to run it in 42 days. Maybe he would have done it if he did it the other way. I think it, I think it makes the story a little bit, doesn't it? The fact mm-hmm. that... The fact that he did it that way. So we have a friend, a good running friend of ours, Nesta, um, who actually, um, he invited me at the time back, I remember way back in 2015, to go and join with him, to go and meet with Scott Georek while he was running a section of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, the weather was miserable, the storms were coming in, so um, I didn't have time, so I had to decline. But I then found out that Nestor actually been and, and, and gone and done this. So what better opportunity than to get a story from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about what it was really like to be on the Appalachian Trail during Scott Jurek's attempt on the record with Scott Jurek. So maybe, Liz, you could uh, introduce our friend. Um, Nestor is one of our running buddies. So he's, he's in our training group, but he's, um, he's not always there because he also has a cottage, uh, and he's often over there. So he doesn't come to trainings, but he is a sub three hour marathoner, which is my future goal. So, uh, one of my heroes, yay, Nestor. And uh, so now we can get to the stuff that everybody wants to hear about, which is his encounter with Scott Jurek. Sure, Liz. Um, hi, by the way. Hi, Alan. Um, yeah, so we had been talking about Alan and I, you know, it's just one of these things that came up when we were running amongst the people running that, you know, uh, did you hear Scott Jurek is doing the Appalachian Trail, yada, yada. So, you know, kind of talked about maybe taking the opportunity if it arose of going down, as Alan mentioned. Uh, But nothing really formal came out of it. But then I found myself at Hovey Manor for a couple of nights on a business retreat. And um, I think we were done. And I think it was a Wednesday morning. Alan would probably know the exact date. And um, that evening before, uh, the beautiful thing was Scott was using a satellite tracker, which was kind of a little bit new. Um, And on his Facebook page, he had it live. So you could actually tell every five-minute intervals where Scott was on the trail. It was brilliant. And he had thousands of runners just following him every day, seeing how he was doing. So you had it live, right, for the whole 46 days. That's amazing. So the night before, I was looking at it, and I went, oh, look at that. He's going to be crossing the 91 directly south of where Javi Manor is, a couple hours drive, two and a half hours drive. So I said, you know what? Let's do it. So I got up up at like 4 a.m. the next morning. Set up the laptop on the driver's seat. Don't tell anyone of this. On the passenger seat. <laughs> That's okay. Your secret's safe just between me and Liz. No so I, you know, I, I think all. back then it wasn't illegal yet. Like, you Maybe. know, because cell phones were, you Let's know, hope. starting. Okay. Yeah. Let's say that. But I created a hotspot on my phone, connected, and all the way down, I'm tracking him. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, where's the best place to get off? 
the plan I had was, okay, to, to kind of to make this foolproof, because I had a margin of error, obviously, is end up somewhere west, uh, sorry, east of Scott and run towards him to the west and then turn around, run with him to the east. So this is near Hanover. This was Hanover on the New Hampshire side. I forget the little town on the Vermont side. There's a river that okay. separates the two states. So, so you were actually with Scott on, in, in, the, in the book, you were with Scott on day 34, okay. I believe. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So as I get closer to where I know I have to, um, you know, um, meet up with the, with the Appalachian Trail and I can see where the trail is on the map. It starts to rain lightly, then it starts to rain medium. By the time I parked the car, it's pouring. But I go, well, I got to do this. So park the car right by the side of the road on the shoulder and hit the trail. And it's well marked. Tropical Storm Bill is on its way. It hits hard in about two more days. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. He's very miserable. <laughs> so I ran, I forget, half hour, 45 minutes until I run into, well, not literally, but Scott and uh, his wife, Jenny, was with him that day. And there was someone else running with him, just some Vermonter. So I turn around and, you know, hit the back of the pack, start running. And I wanted to, you know, I'm all excited. I'm running with Scott Jurek. So I wanted to chat and Jenny kind of looked at me. So she said, not a good day. So, you know, stay quiet. Scott wasn't very interactive. You know, ran through the forest for about uh, 45 minutes, hit the road where my car was. What sort then, of speed was he doing? Slow. Oh, okay. Slow. We were, you he know. Was crushed, he was crushed by this time. I mean, he was. Yeah. In, in our story, it says he was smelling of vinegar because of his protein breakdowns. He looked, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had only seen him in, in pictures. He looked tired and miserable. Like, if I looked like he looked in any race, it meant that I was, I was, I, I did not finish. Like looking at him, I go, how can he keep going for another 10 days or 11 days? Still do the presidentials. Yeah. And right? accelerate. Accelerate and then do the 100 mile wilderness in Maine and then climb Katahdin. I said, how, do, how can he do this? Um, he was stopping a lot for water. He had a little hydro pack with a ceramic filter in his tube. Um, so he was just picking water up from streams. Almost didn't have to because there was water everywhere it was pouring. So he was hydrating a lot. Um, and then we hit the roads on the Vermont side. As we ran into Hanover over the bridge on the other side, there was like 30, 40 young people waiting for him, cheering, screaming, a lot of young female runners. I don't know if he, if, if he has a kind of a strong female following or not. And he noticeably lightened up when that happened. It's not really a poster boy, but it's got to, it's got to help your spirits. It's got to help your spirits. And he, he, like you could tell that he just, his shoulders kind of, you know, relaxed a little bit. He just seemed better. In Hanover, they had their, his um, support van parked. He went in. Uh, we kind of all waited on the sidewalk, the 20, 30 of us. He uh, had the door open so you could see he was hydrating. He was drinking some stuff. Didn't really eat much of anything that I noticed. I didn't even notice him changing his shoes. And I was thinking, my God, his feet must be raw by this point being wet. Don't forget, if you recall, June was the wettest month in Vermont in history, oh, right? Wow. So he's just spent a month running through slop, absolute slop. But after about 10 minutes, um, he kind of said, okay, you know, got up, put his drink aside, got outside the van, looked at all of us and said, okay, quickly, line them up. And he did selfies with each of us. 
I sent you my selfie. I'll you know how to look at it. He didn't look too bad in the photograph. Not at all. Like he lightened up for every selfie. What a professional. Like he smiled and I'm five foot eight. He's like six, four or something. So he actually leans down. So he doesn't look like he's eight inches taller than I am. But um, I thought that was really magnanimous of him. I mean, if I was in his shape, I'd be trying to whimper somewhere in the corner. <laughs> how the hell do you, it's amazing that you can do that in, in, in sport. I mean, he's doing the, the fastest known time on a 2000 mile track and he stops to do selfies with you. And he so, stops to do selfies. You know, it's like, I mean, I guess you wouldn't stop uh, uh, Usain Bolt in the middle of his 100 meters Olympic, Olympic run, but it's, it's kind of tantamount to that kind of thing, isn't it? It is. Well, when we were still running through um, on the trail and it was quiet because he wasn't interacting, I was looking at his form, you know, from the rear and I was trying to sort of get a hint of, okay, what makes him so good? And there was nothing really that stood out. Like his muscles aren't particularly defined. You know, you have some people that have really well-defined calves and these things. Scott doesn't. Um, the only thing that, that strikes you is that he's tall. He's a tall guy. He has long legs. His tibia is very long, knee to ankle. Um, very nice, easy, fluid gait, obviously, for someone who's done that kind of ultra running. But there was nothing that, you know, stood out that you could say, oh, my God, look, he's obviously in great form. After we did the selfie, um, again, he didn't diddle down, you know, he didn't wait very long, didn't waste much time. Uh, and the whole group of us, probably about 15, start running. Um, through the streets of Hanover, picked up the trail, almost lost their way to get to the trail in town and started running. And I ran with him maybe for another hour um, when, you know, the climbing started towards, um, you know, some of the higher terrain. And I was weighing back. I hadn't been talking much to him at all, but I just kind of shouted out, hey, Scott, I got to go. Um, you know, good luck. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. And what amazed me, again, the professionalism yeah. is without breaking a stride or a breath, he goes, thanks, Nestor. Oh, really? Wow. My name? <laughs> Which, I mean, it's, it's not that, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean anything other than I was impressed the fact that he would actually remember. I wouldn't remember my name. If I was him, who am no, I? You're, you're brain dead by that time. You're brain dead by that time. That's and amazing. Then, yeah. And as I ran back, you know, the hour or so back to the car, I just kept thinking i said i've hiked a lot in vermont you know the mount washington area the white mountains uh, probably if you add it all up in, in the white mountains probably and i just could not imagine how this man is going to run across that it just i just could not imagine the amount of energy you yeah. still need to do that if he was only doing that and starting out fresh i'd be saying oh you know that's that's crazy but having been on the uh, on the trail 35 days and he has that ahead of him it's like to me it was completely unfathomable so i mean a super uh, i mean a superlative long distance runner obviously top 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 tier and a gentleman i think he has yeah. something in his mentality that not everybody else has as well as whatever skills and genetics he has right and it was not lost on me in a moment of of sort of humor on my part i was thinking to myself because i chatted with his wife for a little while when he was quite um still on the trail and um, her name's Jenny, and that kind of sort of, I thought that was a little bit ironic, given, you know, Forrest Gump's girlfriend was Jenny. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I said, okay, this is kind of interesting little irony. What was her humor like? Was she, did she seem concerned, or was she just in neutral, just doing whatever she had to do? Uh, she was, seemed very lighthearted. Uh, she kind of seemed, let him do his thing, don't bother him. She was free to, she chatted with me freely for quite a while. Um, she seemed really nice, very personable. 
She didn't seem stressed or overly concerned. Um, I don't know how much of that whole experience she ran. There were days that she picked where she did run. She ran every border crossing with him. Oh, I see. Okay, Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, in the book, um, she she basically would run every every day. I think with him, from from what I understood, Uh, like they would they would have a, a moment where they would run together during the day. But uh, it depended on if she had somebody else to drive the van because then there was that because there were some some parts where they were kind of on their own, just the two of them. So I guess it was hard to get, you know, volunteers for 46 days to take time out of their lives. That's not easy. So they, they must have had different people for different periods. So it actually seems like the second half, there were tons of people around, but the first half was a little bit more... Um, more lonely well with just the two of them or the two of them with one other person but yeah and you started to get some famous people coming out uh, towards the end as well yeah we mentioned uh aaron rostam from uh, 127 hours fam we uh we touched on that and yeah. uh you know some some of the who's who of ultra trail running were helping him out as well um and I think, you know, one of the things he said was that he got help from every single person on the trail who supported him and gave him, you know, words of encouragement. Um, and he only broke the he only broke the record by three hours and 13 minutes at the time. So it could have been, Nestor, that your little piece of encouragement <laughs> that you gave him on your little section of trail for two hours made the psychological difference that got him the extra three hours and 13 minutes that he needed. God bless you, Alan. So I, I would guess that if we called him up, he would probably put your name next to his on the, on the... <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's taking it a little far. It's maybe a little that's far. taking it a little far. A little but far. Wow. Thanks. What an experience. And thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks uh, for taking time out to, to tell us about that. My pleasure. What it a was claim a to fame. What a claim. It was a hoot. It was, and you know, having that picture as a memento um, really kind of was icing on the cake. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks. Okay. So um, maybe we could get some thoughts on the book overall in general. You know, what, what did you think of the book, Liz? Um, any comments? I mean, coming from a completely, uh, you know, road running track background, I didn't know any of these characters. I had heard of Speed Goat because, yes, she was named after him. Um, But, like, you know, it was kind of interesting because I got to sort of read about all these characters and, and how they're all so different from each other. They're all kind of like, like fringe characters, you know, they're sort of very, very out there. They make good story characters because they're all a bit weird. Yeah, except not in the same way. They're all yeah. weird in their own specific way. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it a bit reminds me of, you know, when I went to go work, uh, work up north with the Inuit. That's what people, that's how people talk about the white people that go work up north is that they say that like it's it's all this sort of uh you know fringe the, dwellers who go the, the fringe <laughs> you're banished it's a bit like game of thrones um, you're banished to the wall go but up at, north. The, at the same time you go up north and uh you know you're automatically friends because like yes you all kind of live up there out of your element. Uh, and it seems like trail running in this book. It seems like it's a little bit like that too. Like yeah, all these it is. people. That's a, good, that's a good analogy. 
Yeah, and all these people that end up doing these crazy things like running for 46 days, they're all so different, but yet they have this connection because they have this thing in common that they do, even if the reason that they do it is not the same for all of them. And so it was kind of interesting. I, I liked, uh, you know, I liked reading about it. All the characters were, uh, you know, were fun to get to know because I'd heard some of these names before, but never really looked them up or anything because the, you know, they don't run marathons and they don't run tracks. So it was kind of interesting for, for me in that way. Uh, you know, this type of, of event is, um, if you hadn't guessed already, not really the type of thing that I would want to do myself. And the book reinforced that I definitely do not want to run the Appalachian Trail. I'm, I'm actually terrified now because now they told me all those stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I hope it doesn't put you off trail running, though. Um, uh, I, I think what that tells me is that, you know, in terms of developing uh, an interest in doing super ultra um adventure type running i'm not sure uh that i really want to do that um mm-hmm. i'd want to you know go and sleep in a hotel in between each day and get rested and then going on a one day adventure and maybe multiple days one at a time like mm-hmm. we did uh, in trans rockies i did in trans rockies and we did in the trans selkirks they're fabulous because you get to really appreciate the trails but i think being crushed by the trail and having to try to get through it i think that's an inner journey rather than my mm-hmm. my view on trails is to appreciate it after you're smashed and you've got no energy and you've got hardly room to speak i think uh probably wouldn't appreciate the trails very much yeah probably and in terms of the book itself it yeah. was a pretty good read it it was you know it was nice storytelling i guess you know, I guess maybe I I got, I think you can probably get something out of it, even if you've never heard of Scott Jurek or Speed Goat or any of these characters, because there's also just, just the completion of this, this task, you know, like to run for 46 days and not sleep and go through all this, uh, uh, to put your body through all this. I mean, it, it just, proves how resilient human beings can be and in that way you know that could kind of you know everybody I think could maybe get a little inspiration from the book in that way even if uh, you know even if you don't actually want to sort of like us even if you don't actually want to do a huge adventure that completely beats you up you know you can still get some motivation out of it it was tough at the beginning I find a little bit with the injuries and the and and the low points just because it did it seemed like it was going to be a bit of a negative seemed to get discouraging quite early on yeah yeah, yeah quite early mm-hmm. on but once you got past that there were all the other characters and the people that were his trail angels and that would leave things on the trail and and it just sort of it's so nice that um that you see that there was this kind of community that ended up developing around Scott's journey. So it was almost like everybody's journey. You know, he sort of um, seemed to bring it together. Yeah. I mean, this is saying it takes a village to raise a child. It almost takes a village to get one person down that sort of task. Definitely. So do, 
Do you want to give it a score? For the story, I would give it a four out of five because there were just the four is only because there were some points where uh, I was starting to get discouraged, <laughs> like, <laughs> like sort of not, uh, not right at the beginning, but in, in around those, those first days before they got to the halfway point. Readability, it's, it's, it's a good, easy read. I guess I would give the, give that probably a f- four and a half, let's say. Okay, so you're giving it a composite 4.25. Yes, uh, yeah, about a 4.25. Yeah, I think I think that's maybe my reasons are a little different, but I think I'll probably give it four out of five. Great story, fantastic characters, very readable. I thought the aspect of having Jenny talk about her perspective on the thing was was great because um, mm-hmm. they give you another angle uh, and and more insight. Epic epic story. I, th- I thought it was a little bit discouraging in, in in some ways it part of the enormity of the task um as well but i didn't take to some of the characters i thought oh they're not really helping you know why mm-hmm. is scott why has scott asked this guy to come along he's not really enjoying his company or say yeah he's a good guy but 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 so so the, that was that was a little bit sort of emotionally uh negative as well and and i thought the end was a bit anticlimactic you know, we should have had a big orchestra and uh, the hero arrives to fanfares or, or, or a, bit more, a bit more information about the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like, I'm totally exhausted. And I got to the end. Yeah. And I celebrated uh, yeah. Jenny's birthday. Uh, but yeah, there was that missing. There was a little bit of like so. I, I remember as well they, they they dismissed the park rangers a little bit at the end. I remember there being quite a, a, a controversy. Controversy. Oh, we're going to have a controversy about whether it's controversy. <laughs> uh-huh. I say controversy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, there's one of those uh, about uh, the the rangers gave him three three um fines for different things you know bringing too many people into the park and uh foodstuffs or consuming alcohol he very politely just dismisses all of that in the book it went on for several days and there was there was a media storm about about that but i guess that's not part of the the big finale i think i was expecting something at the end like some insight like you've done this done this thing what's like a race report yeah yeah what's, what's the insight you know what's what's your take on message now mm-hmm. have you found yourself have you learned something about yourself well i think scott's already learned everything there is to learn about himself on some of the challenges that he's done and this was just another one he did under certain circumstances and was able to pull it off so so it was a little bit anticlimactic from that point of view for me so so i'll give four for that um the book itself is great uh, the color pictures in it fantastic it's really good to to go back and look at, okay, he's here on this day. Oh, this is a picture of him doing it. You can see what that means to go through some of the rocky areas, some mm-hmm. of the particularly uh, difficult sections or how he was looking at the end versus how he's looking at the start. That was all pretty good. So I'll give that a uh, big thumbs up there. That's North by Scott Jurek. Thank you once again for everybody that's listening to Running Book Reviews. And... Um, 
as usual, you can leave us feedback about anything that you'd uh, want us to improve, or uh, you know, you can even tell us if there are books that you're interested in us reviewing. So we're open to suggestions, and you can contact us through social media. We're running book reviews on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter, we're running. Uh, we're sorry, we're reviews underscore running. That's it for today. Cue the outro music. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>